Okay, sorry about that. No worries. As much as people might like listening to classical music in the background of this podcast, I don't think it fits the tone. <laughs> I mean, it could. It, it fits it as much as the like creepy children's music does. Yeah, yeah. I was so I did something different watching this episode. I didn't really like take as many notes as I typically do um, for like a regular episode. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, I usually I start taking notes about like detailed things that happen, but the way we're rewatching this, that's not as ne- necessary. I feel like. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I'll go through a lot of the plot points, but it, it, it's not as much about that. It's more about our reactions to them and our kind of insights we didn't see the first time around, right? So, mm-hmm. right, right, yeah, cool. Okay, ready to do it? I am if you are. Yep, let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast for the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. Hello, everyone. What's up? Didn't, What's up, Tyler? Didn't botch at that time, so that, that's good. And no one made no one sent us any messages either, uh, making fun of you, so that's very sweet of them. That was nice. That, that was very kind of them. Um, man, again, uh, enjoying going through this season, especially as we're finally on the brink of October. Um, can finally pull out my bourbon insider special and and really settle into these hell upcoming halloween episodes which i'm so excited for um, yes. how are you doing oh totally agree it, the weather has just started to shift here as well so it's getting into the uh i see leaves starting to fall the temperature's dropping into the 50s at night so it just feels like ripe for american horror story absolutely uh, well, with that being said, I do want to just dive into it pretty quickly. Of course, today we're talking about the third episode, which is actually called Murder House, so it feels pretty profound yeah. in that way. Um, but before we do, as always, want to go over a couple of different things. Uh, we always enjoy you know, people facilitating a conversation on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Horror Story. That's where we kind of have our little community and have some fun uh, comments and conversations. Um, among them, uh, tr- I was going to say, based on our last podcast, Trey on Facebook messaged us and suggested that he said he was thinking a lot, too, about why, you know, um, Constance sort of baked the cupcakes and wanted to give those to Violet and kind of what the, mm-hmm. the logic was behind it. I think our theory was that maybe she was kind of doing some weird reverse psychology thing on getting, um, you know, getting Vivian to eat them. But Trey was suggesting that maybe Constance wanted Violet to eat the cupcake as revenge for Vivian touching Addie in the episode previous. Oh, uh, yeah, that's Kind of like a you hurt my kid, I'll hurt your kid sort of thing. So I thought that was a good theory. So I wanted to share. Or you share hurt my kid. One. Or you touch my kid, I'll murder your kid. Yeah, you know, or just give her really violent shits. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one or the other. Um, and then, of course, you can always email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We sincerely love uh, the emails, and we try to respond to every one we get. Uh, with that being said, Chris, before we really dive in this week, what are you drinking this evening? I have a uh, hard cider. It's an Incline Cider Company, and it's their uh, lemongrass cider, and it's delicious. It's my favorite one to pick up from the grocery store. So hmm. not necessarily a bourbon and cider yet, but I'm doing a cold hard cider, and I love it. Um, what are you drinking? That sounds quite tasty. I'm just drinking a glass of red wine today. Uh, it is box nice. wine because, you know, I'm not the um, the fancy connoisseur you are, although I do like a good bottle of wine, but I just happened to go to the box today. But it is a fancy box. Uh, it's It says something in French on the side. I don't know. It tastes good. I'm happy. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not above eating or drinking wine from a box. I've, I've been known to do that myself. Mm -hmm. Hey, I mean, sometimes it's, it's what you got and, uh, you know, it doesn't go bad. Well, it does eventually, but not as fast. So that part's (laughs) nice. (laughs) Awesome. So let's dive into episode three, Murder House. Uh, so a couple of notes right off the bat. This one is the first episode we see that's directed by Bradley Buecher. We know him as longtime American Horror Story director, similar to um, Gomez Rejon in that way. And written by Jennifer Salt, who I believe is another longtime American Horror Story writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of neat to be seeing the debut episodes for these um, people we get to know as you know, behind-the-camera folks over the course of multiple seasons. Right, right. 
And so we cold open in 1983 in a very iconic scene that I think about a lot when I think back to this season. Do you want to take us through it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, we get a flashback, 1983, and we have the young Moira um, cleaning up or, or making a bed when uh, a man who we find out his name's Hugo uh, essentially starts sexually harassing her and wants to do it with her because they had already done it in the past and she was like that was a mistake i shouldn't have done that um i need this job please like you know something that we kind of see reflected later in the future as well but um while he is forcing himself on her trying to rape her uh there's this beautiful shot of um, the silhouette of constance coming down the hallway and she has a gun with her uh, and she walks in and catches them. And I remember this when I first saw this the episode like, years ago. She initially shoots Moira right through the eye. And we all know which eye we're talking about. And then she starts uh, and shoots and kills her husband who was having the affair. Well, rape affair, whatever. Uh, not whatever, you know what I mean. Affair for the first time. This was this was rape. Um, the second time, and she kills him, and so she's she's done with it. And then just a masterclass of acting of uh, Constance of um, of um, Jessica Lang. Sorry, uh, just sitting with what she just did, and then cleaning up after herself uh, in a way. And then we kind of then we also get a little bit of I believe Ben and Vivian before we get the titles. Also, because yeah, we do. This is this is my problem with this episode. Um, a lot of contrivances <laughs> happen. Like we open up, and he's talking about a bad investment he made, and they don't have enough money, so that's why they can't move out of the house yet. Um, that felt very forced. Uh, and then we get the then we get our title credits. What right. did you think about the opening? So a couple things that I noted here in kind of reviewing this scene that, as you said, is something that we, you know, I feel like when we reflect back on the season, it's when you think of, especially when we jump forward to Apocalypse and, you know, have that whole, uh, you know, such a big part of that episode is kind of the redemption, I guess, of Moira. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things I thought about is, is kind of what you noted that the fact that Moira is the first person Constance shoots instead of her husband kind of it plays him well with the character and kind of that almost like victim blaming mentality mm-hmm. she has. Uh, you know, this woman is the seductress. It's, it's her fault first and foremost. I and mean, then it's the husband's fault secondarily. Um, obviously he dies too in the end, but still, I think that's significant. Another thing that uh, I thought of in this scene that I hadn't know that I don't remember having noticed the first time around. And I wanted to ask you about later uh, mm-hmm. is we see this scene where like, Constance sits down in the bed after killing Moira and like takes uh-huh. her ear. He she takes her earrings off, um, in like a very dramatic kind of fashion. And it's not until she takes her earrings off that she like actually breaks down crying. And I was trying to think of what this meant uh, symbolically because it's almost like she felt like you know she had like dressed herself up for this dramatic moment and like she she had to like remove her like remove the facade of who she was pretending like the stone cold person she was pretending to be before she could cry. But there's another moment later. Um, that I'll point out to you when we're reviewing the episode in which she's looking from the window with Moira and she's either putting mm-hmm. on or taking her earrings back off. So it's another earring moment. And I wanted to ask, yes. I'll, well, I'll wait till then, but I'm curious to hear what your perspective is on the earrings. Cool. Uh, so that was interesting. And then the third thing is, you know, now looking back in retrospect, we know this very clearly, but I think if you're a savvy American Horror Story watcher, even if you're watching this for the first time, you recognize that the hallway and the bedroom uh, that this event, that these events happen in is the murder house. It's not Constance's next door house. So this is how we know. Right. I mean, they've already hinted at it because Constance has talked about Moira having worked for her at some point in time. Right. Um, but we know that uh, Constance used to live there. And then, of course, uh, jumping forward to 2011, I totally agree with you on kind of the uh, things being a little contrived here. I did like that at first, at first they're making us think that like maybe Vivian somehow found out about the then going baby. to see Hayden, Hayden, yep. yeah, yeah, but yep. so it, so it's a little bit of a twist where it's like, oh no, he's just he did something else stupid, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, this this episode has a few moments like like that where like, wait, what are we talking about here? And I know it's trying to be smart and like cool, but it, it, in the end, I don't think it really worked. Uh, 
successfully. Um, what was successful was the transition between 83 to 2011 because we have Vivian walk in and you think, oh my gosh, she's in the same room as Ed, but it, it, it transitions to her having that conversation with Ben about the bad investment of something vague and their guy that always is right was wrong this one. It's just, it, I don't know. Yeah. I, they're really hammering us over the head with reasons why they can't move out of the house in this episode. They're giving us too many reasons, to be honest. They are. But again, it's like... Kind of like we said before, it's like we appreciate that Vivian as a protagonist is like not your typical stupid horror story victim who's like mm -hmm. too stupid, too stupid to leave, doesn't know what's going on. But um, right. it's like, I mean, really, it's just oh, Vivian's whole story throughout the series is she's just like a victim of everyone else being shitty in circumstances, especially Ben, especially Ben. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's like it is really a, tra a tragedy built around Vivian in so many ways. Uh, but he, I mean, even Vi even Violet in this episode is kind of, like keeps them from moving out too, you know. So yeah, it's like, I, that's that's what I mean. Like, uh, there's there's another reason that she's like, well, we can't move because I I don't want to move. Uh, I need this, and so again, they're just layering all these reasons why they can't move out of the house, which is fine. But the way that these reasons are just seem a little forced, for sure. And then I think the thing that you know worth noting is that that the cold open ends with that line, "If you lie to me again, we're through." We're again mm. kind of being shown this that like you know. He's got Vi secrets. Well, Vivian has bought into this. Ben is a, like, well, she, she's not really, though, because she keeps buying in. He keeps, like, basically, she figures something else out that he lied about. And so she indicates that it's finally her last rope. I mean, I think as viewers, we have to be skeptical whether or not that's even actually true because, you know, she's stuck with him through all this crap up till now. Yeah. So who's to say? Um, okay, so diving into the meat of this episode, I, I divided the sub, the storylines into kind of Vivian storyline, a Ben storyline, and a little bit of a Constance kind of slash Moira storyline. So that's how we'll kind of jump around a little bit and um, okay. be able to talk about things. Um, so obviously, we, you know, we have Vivian is kind of breaking down maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, you can feel. Her anxiety is very palpable, but, like, with good reason. They obviously went through something very traumatic last episode with kind of the kidnapping and stuff. And now she's stuck in this house, and Ben is not only, like, screwed them by making it so they can't move out. He's kind of, like, antagonistic toward her about wanting to move out, about, like, even being comforting. And he's, like, cagey about where he was, all this type of stuff. So, I don't know. I do have a lot of sympathy for Vivian throughout this episode. Um Obviously, kind of her big moment in the storyline she follows is is this Eternal Darkness tour. And really, it's more about the flashback into 1922 where we get a little bit more backstory on the murder house. Right. Because, um, she, you know, she's gardening. She sees the, the tour bus come by and she ends up taking it on her own to, to get the full perspective on it, which it's kind of a fun convention to add backstory to it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this um, – this flashback, which adds it, you know, it's the origins of the murder house in so many ways. So, you know, built in 1922 by Dr. Charles Montgomery, quote unquote, surgeon to the stars. Um, him and his wife clearly have a tumultuous relationship. Um, tough, tough finances get him addicted to some morphine like substance. Yeah. Whatever. Some anesthesia type stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gives him like this Frankenstein complex where he has all these human pieces and jars and animal pieces and he's trying to like sew together some weird thing. Um, yeah. This, so, is, this is also where American Horror Story, we, like, you can see the DNA of American Horror Story where they just start doing really weird shit. <laughs> like, they're, they're clearly, like, this started off as like a family drama rooted in a horror story of ghosts and things happening. And now we're getting this guy that's sewing like wings onto pigs. And it, it's, it just, it, this is, this is Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk at their core, just going like over the top. And this is season one where it wasn't really that over the top. It's just going to get crazier, obviously, as we know, seasons go on, but this is the first hint of it that I was like, Oh God, can't, right. they, they can't, can't be a regular doctor. He has to be a weirdo. <laughs> Totally. Anyway. Not all, yeah. And so, you know, viewers might recognize Dr. Montgomery is played by the actor Matt Ross, who uh, mm -hmm. ended up going on to play Gavin Belson in Silicon Valley, a very different character, obviously. It's um, I so I love Silicon Valley and I obviously I didn't remember who played Dr. Montgomery in season one. And when when I when he came on, I was like, oh, is that is that I had to pause it a few times I was like, oh, it's Gavin Belson. Uh, anyway, he's great. 
He was also in some other uh, HBO shows, I believe. But yeah. um, so intense. I appreciate yeah. that about him. But uh, yeah, he's obviously, great. D- very different tone. And then this is, of course, the first uh, introduction we get of Lily Rabe, who, as we know, yeah, becomes, you know, quite the series regular as Nora Montgomery. Love her. Mm-hmm. She's great. He's yeah the the drugged up doctor. She's the snobby socialite. They clearly have a very troubled marriage. It's almost a comical scene that they have at the dinner table that makes the. I mean, it'd be sad. It'd be funny if it wasn't so depressing with the baby right there. Yeah, or anything like that. I know. Oh, um, I but it's like not... very over the top, right? Yeah. Uh, um, she, she she just despises him. He's an addict, and they do not should not be married. And and they've got money problems, just like everyone else in the show. And they go from zero to 100 so fast at each other. But, like, it's funny, though, because it's something that, like, you end up seeing, you know, with people. I don't know if you've had friendships with people before where, like, you know that, like, they're in a relationship that's going the wrong way and you kind of see glimpses of this happening. And, yeah. like, you know, it, it's it's not it's not out of the question, but it's obviously quite, quite dramatic. Um, so to fix their financial woes, Nora arranges for... Uh, Dr. Chuck here to start doing abortions. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. this is a time when abortion is highly illegal, so they have mm-hmm. to be done uh, very much in secret. Uh, there's a lot of risk. Yep. They're very unclean. Uh, we learned that they roughly did 24 abortions in that basement. Um, no coincidence, of course, that the basement is like the uh, the heart of darkness. <laughs> I uh, that I don't mean to say that in, you know, context of joseph conrad but it's like the the dark heart of the house the evil evil heart of the house is the basement we kind of learn this is why right right um but before so we know something happens that we kind of see like some of the, like the first abortion taking place i think but before we understand the finale of what happens here vivian starts bleeding on the tour bus as they're outside the murder house and has to run inside so mm-hmm. we don't get the full end of this story at this point in time um I don't remember if we get it in flashbacks or if some like someone tells it to Vivian in a future episode, but we will learn what happens later, I believe. But this is kind of the the, the original sin of the house, I guess. Um, right. It, but we yeah. do know that we know like basically there is some kind of bombshell ending with the tour guide hints at that that we're not yet sure as viewers what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a couple things to note with Vivian, you know we. Her bleeding stops, she says, as soon as she got back in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't I don't remember thinking too much of this watching through the first time, but I don't know if you felt this way. Now on rewatching, it makes me think that like there must be some kind of thing. It almost makes you wonder if the house has some kind of powers that are like confound in the outside world to keep them in the house because the baby can only gestate in the house. You know what I mean? It makes you start to wonder about those aspects. Totally, I, I agree. I've I've been looking at this season through that type of a lens, um, this go around, where the house actually has this sort of power or control over certain things, including possibly the health of the baby, um, that it needs to be in the house to be nourished and grow. Um, I also think it is, and I'm using this to explain some of the writing, I guess, but uh, people's behavior when they're in that house, like their flaws, they just get exacerbated and they become their worst versions of themselves. You know, if they were in a different location, then Ben and Vivian would probably be able to work through this better. But the house is like bringing out this bad stuff in them, um, in their characteristics, but in their lies and their flaws, that makes it a little more challenging. So yes, I, I, I agree that the house is its own thing, even though it might not be like rubber man or, the monster in the basement. It, it's something about that house. Something about the house and something about that this demon brewing inside of her needs to, needs to come, you know, come to term, I guess. Is that the term in, yeah. in the house? Um, and also just like the forcefulness with which the doctor advises against moving. It's one of those things where you're saying how different things keep coming up that are just, we're compounding the reasons that yeah. they shouldn't move. The doctor's I, like, what it was like death. And uh, yeah, I, I was, it's almost a little over the top. It was, it's, it's comical. And that's where like when American Horror Story goes there, if you start looking at this show as a serious drama, you're missing it. Like this is, you know, maybe it seems like it's trying to be serious, but if once you start looking at the show as how ridiculous, like would a doctor really say, no, do not move. That's one thing you can't do right now because you need to stay in that house that you have PTSD in from the home invasion last week. 
No, of course not. They'd be like, get out of there. Like, you need to be safe. But this is another thing that it's like if we're, you know, maybe That's we can maybe we can justify it with this whole like, you know, murder house conspiring the universe view. Like this is all, you know, this source of evil was making it so they couldn't leave in all these different ways. Yeah. Um, so so back at the house and feeling kind of frustrated with everything, uh, the doorbell rings and Vivian with fair reason approaches so tentatively, and it's another strange woman at the door. Um, this time we recognize it as Nora Montgomery. Um, she seems... <sighs> Vivian, for whatever reason, finally like feels sympathy toward her. I guess she gets a vibe that this person's not violent. And if I was Vivian, I wouldn't let anybody into that house ever again, period. Hell no. <laughs> but but she's, she's a softie, I guess. Um, and Nora, Nora comes into the house, and this time seems quite taken with the house, which in the flashbacks, she seems to hate the house. So it's kind of a different attitude, um, other than, of course, the modern improvements that she's not a fan of. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, real, real quickly, I would also probably, if I was Vivian, tell Ben, no more treating patients in our home, because the last one you let in tried to murder us. Um, well, yeah, it directly <laughs> led to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Nora's interesting because, you know, obviously, I think it's not a spoiler that she's a ghost because we see the flashbacks that so she's not she does not look like that a hundred years later. Right. Um, but it is weird that she she enters the story by going ringing the doorbell. Like, what what you know? This is a question that we do have for the season. Like, the ghosts tend to show up at different times and different states of awareness of their story or other people, other ghosts. Um, so it, right now it's just kind of fun to see her and kind of get to know her situation and find out if she's going to be like a nefarious presence for um, Vivian and the baby she's pregnant with, or she can be helpful and friendly. We don't really know yet. So we're skeptical as is Vivian, but she's definitely sort of warmed to Nora, which is strange considering her situation last episode. Right. I think that's a really fair point that we see, obviously, we've already seen a variety of ghosts that are appearing in the house, and they do have different levels of awareness. And I I feel like we'll need to watch closely, because I don't remember, uh, in, you know, from, from the original watch, if we learn what, you know, how a specific ghost retains or doesn't retain their level of awareness. So that's something I'm going to look for moving forward, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing I pointed out in my notes here is just that cinematic shot of the gash in the back of Nora's head oh, is, yeah. is very is very well done and very disturbing. Yeah, one thing, we, I don't think we do this very often, but major props, and I need to look up the names, but to the effects, makeup effects um, crew for American Horror Story, they're pretty fantastic. And yeah, that, that it's gr- gross and gory and perfect. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Nora, like... This is this appears in a, in, in a poof, and yeah. you know this, this is like so weird. This is Vivian's you know uh, second last straw, <laughs> and <laughs> she, and this is that's when she takes Violet to go look at apartments, and then Violet puts her foot down, and, and poor poor Vivian's stuck in the house. I think we know the world's cons- the universe is conspiring against her at this point, so she's stuck in the house, and that's kind of the end of Vivian for for this this particular yeah. episode. She, Vivian is. Um... Sometimes I really like her, and sometimes she does. Like when she talks to the realtor um, about yeah. like she's gonna sue her ass and stuff like that, it just seems a little more of a different person. Just like when she put her hands on Addie and's like, "Do not come in this house." Where I was like, "That does that seems out of character for her." She's she's like this hippy dippy, you know, non GMO, organic lady that wants to fight for her family, but she also just I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of vainness that kind of seeps seeps in there a little because she does have perfect hair i don't know and her sunglasses were just perfect for uh while she was on the the murder tour tour. (laughs) i loved it i love her so much okay i do love her never mind i don't know i'm just talking i think that's i think that's fair i was i do you know i do have some sympathy for her because i do think you know it's like like we were saying at the beginning she's she's so much the tragic victim of this whole this particular season that it's like I feel bad for her that, you know, I understand where those emotions are coming from. And it's like these outbursts that are centered in just, you know, she's so happy to finally have this baby, but like her husband's a shit and her daughter's a shit. And she went through this really traumatic situation and everyone is like, there's the freaky stuff happening all the goddamn time. And she's just like, man, someone send her, give her a one-way ticket to like the Bahamas and put her on an island somewhere by herself where she can just chill, chill on a beach. 
Um, no, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I want to talk now a little bit about Constance and kind of her, the Constance Moira storyline here a little bit, because um, obviously mm-hmm. that's a big part of this episode with the intro. Um, so Moira stumbles across Constance going through the Harmon Silver. This is the second time, I think, that Moira's caught Constance I think so. stealing, stealing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one question I had for you is, like, why does Moira still feel subservient to Constance even after death, now that we know this? Because, like, you know... I have I have maybe a theory, but I want to hear what you think first. Uh, I, I I and I'm trying to remember if we ever really find out. Um, I do think that Moira is just riddled with guilt, uh, even though she should not be victim shamed. Yeah, she maybe slept with him the first time, and that's awful, and she felt felt horrible about it and didn't want to. But she was attacked. Like she does not need to feel guilty, and she should not have been murdered. But um, maybe that's part of why. Uh, I know we kind of get a glimpse of it later, but because she's stuck on the property because her body is stuck on the property, her bones, maybe she has to be that way. Like you're stuck in the role you were when you were at the house when you died. Um, I don't know. What do you, what's your theory? So the thoughts I had were obviously when Moira dies, she's probably like what, 24, 25. And so even though, you know, the manifestation of her that like Vivian sees and Constance sees as an old woman at this point in time, you, I mean, her consciousness, her spirit's consciousness is still stuck at this young age. So I do think there's something to the victim, like, you know, her blaming herself situation that you're talking about because she still was so young and she doesn't know any better in a lot of ways. So I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, And then the other theory is just that, you know, maybe she is hoping that somehow because Constance... You know, we know Constance is not a spirit because she kind of comes and goes as she pleases. She's not stuck on the property, all this other kind of stuff. Maybe she is still hopeful that if she's nice to Constance, somehow Constance will do as you said and excavate her bones and, 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 you know, help her move on to the next place. Because, you know, we point out, you know, Moira wants to move on, but can't. She says it out loud, and we obviously don't get that later till the season of Apocalypse. But. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I. I I think, well, um, I, I really love this storyline and I, you know, knowing what happens in the future, but being present in this episode right now, I, I, w- I would love to go deeper into Moira Constance, the husband, like that world in the 80s and Moira for showing up to like, or sorry, not Moira, um, Constance for showing up from Virginia, I think she's from and, and just like she's so fascinating and, and this was a big part of the storyline today that relationship and the murders but we really didn't have a lot of jessica lang in this episode minus those like two scenes i think right yeah you're right i think she's she's more featured in this episode than anything but obviously her scenes are quite powerful another right. thing she says she says to moira that you know because i think moira says like someday you'll pay for this or something like that and constance says that she pays for what she's done every, every goddamn day. day yeah and I was wondering if, if, do you think that relates to her children? I was wondering what your thought was. What was the first thing that came to mind when she said that? The first thing that came out I was like, oh my God, I'm watching a goddamn soap opera. Um, <laughs> it, that's like one of those. Jessica Lang was on a soap opera when she was young, wasn't she? I think she was. I, I, I'm real, I believe it. Um, we should know that, I guess. You, or you do know that. Um, it's, that's, that's a line that a writer comes up with in the room. And maybe there's not real reason behind it, but you want Jessica Lang to say that line because it's going to be powerful and and have punch. Uh, so, uh, but I do think if we if we want to theorize about why, I think it's her children's situation definitely. Um, Tate situation. I mean, she has to live with what his legacy is every day, and yeah, and then whatever she thinks her tribulations are because of having to raise Addie. I think that's also part of it. So she's, yeah, I think that's probably it. What, do you have any other ideas? Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, she must, she must feel like she's, she's cursed, right? And she almost kind of indicates this, um, in the past episode when she's talking to Vivian about her children and stuff like that. And maybe, maybe she thinks this is, why or maybe it's an accumulation of things but I, I think you must be onto something with that and i definitely think it's related to her kids because we know that that's an obsession of hers to a certain extent yeah and we, it's funny because 
uh, we'll meet some of them later, but um, she mentioned she has four kids, and we don't really know who they all are yet. Um, so it, it's uh, and then we we will learn most of them by the end of this season. But I think there's some we don't need till uh, apocalypse, right? And finally, let's talk about Ben, um, who has a, a new patient, Adina Porter, who, yeah, you know, at, at, the, at this point in time, we didn't know that she was going to play such a key role in future seasons. And honestly, right. she doesn't for the next two, three, I don't think, tell Roanoke that she really comes in as a, and becomes a main one, character. one of our leads. Um, but she kind of plays a sad, both sad and kind of comedic character until you know we realize what ends up happening to her but you know this this person who's just too damn boring and her husband can't handle it and then she shows us why she's so damn boring (laughs) she was she's great she's good um i didn't got i didn't really get boring from her but i did get quirky but i understand how they're trying to like she memorized the football teams (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she was great i liked it yeah Um, no it's it's entertaining it's entertaining and then Ah. When the detective comes by later, he's like, yeah, this woman's missing. Uh, everyone I talked to said she's really boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> How awful would it be if that's what people said about you when you went missing and the police were investigating? Yeah. Uh, she's a boring, boring woman. Uh, I mean, so boring. Well, we know it's not just boredom at the end because we know Ben has uh, some kind of... Uh, what? Yeah, what's opioid, going on? Opioid in his blood or something like that. Um but he he passes out basically or falls asleep and wakes up in the backyard. Um, where is mopping up blood in the foyer in his office? The first inclination we're supposed to get is I think that he that he killed he a reporter, yeah. which we learn out we learn later is not the case. Mm-hmm. So do we ever find out whose blood this really is, or are they just fucking with him? I thought um, so. We do have a little scene later in the episode where. Um, they're talking about the the blades, uh, about her committing suicide, and I assumed maybe that she had committed suicide or like tried to kill herself because the detective brings the recording back and that's on that recording. Um, so maybe she she like did it in the house. She cut she herself left? in the house. Yeah, or he. Yeah, uh, that's all I could think of. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Because but you're right. We're, we're we're supposed to think that he murdered her. Right. Um, and then another big kind of thing, you know, Moira plays a big presence in this episode. Um, and mm-hmm. it's a lot about, you know, Ben trying to, you know, push off her advances. Um, it, it's always so discombobulating when, like, you see Moira through Ben's eyes, then you see it through Vivian's eyes. It's always very awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes for some really interesting dynamics and almost like a comical exchange when they're each talking to the respective Moiras. Um, and especially if you think of it from Vivian's point of view where like, he's just like, can't keep, you know, the, the old, the old maid, uh, housekeeper can't keep her hands off of him. It's, you could see how she thinks he's like, just like a sexually obsessed dude, um, which he is anyway. It's kind of frustrating to me in this, in the sense that why does Moira have two personalities? She wasn't a slutty, like sexually harassing maid when she was younger. (laughs) She was attacked um and she seemed like a kind of nice honest girl that got a little mixed up but wanted to work hard and do her job i don't know you know and then but then this is maybe the the power of the house is making that happen and manifest that personality because as we know ben and the officer see her as this attractive young woman uh and mora says women but women can see people and see to their soul and that's why Vivian sees Moira as this nice older woman who is really good at her job. Right. And I think you're I think you're onto it right there. I don't know why she's been damned to in the eyes of men be seen as kind of this slut character, but I think it I think it's supposed to say more about the person who's seeing her in that way than it is supposed to say about Moira herself, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, we see a scene in which Ben is like trying to connect with Violet when he catches her smoking. Um, he, you know, he feels bad. He's trying to get, get back with his daughter, but she's secretly hanging out with Tate again. Um, and I just, this is like, just, a, I don't think we see too much of Tate in this particular episode or that much of Violet really. Um, but I, I do I, think yeah. that the fact that he's like lighting her cigarette and like, you know, basically Ben tells her not to, or catches her smoking and that's supposed to be like a bad thing, but like Tate's kind of facilitating the smoking. I think it's supposed to be just implied that he's continuing to fuel her, her bad habits. yeah yeah he's definitely got his influence on her and they have a connection um clearly she got over him 
terrorizing that one girl. Um, it's very, I, I, I was happy not, I was happy to take a break from Tate and Violet because there's only so much teen angst I can deal with as a man in his thirties now. <laughs> um, fair, but, but, um, yeah, but yeah, that, yeah, it was, yeah. Ben's trying, I think, and Tate has his grasp on his daughter, though, so. Right. Um, you know, and Ben is just having a hard time this episode, too, in his own ways. I mean, his are a lot more deserved, uh, but he's, you know, having these, continues to have confrontational interactions with Moira, who slips his tape recorder down the front of her dress, she says. Um, we know that's <laughs> that's not where it is, but. So uh, ridiculous. And then, of course, there's more problems when he realizes his newest patient is Hayden, who is still pregnant uh, and is mad that he left the abortion clinic. So now she's moving to L.A. and wants him to pay for everything and be the father of their child. You know, no, no big deal there. This really annoyed me. <laughs> Another part where like this, and this is also kind of true to American Horror Story, but a lot of Ryan Murphy shows. I don't know if you've watched The Politician. Um like, characters are supposed to be this one way, then all of a sudden, next episode, they're going to be completely different. Like, in the episode we meet Hayden back um, in the past, she is kind of a scared 21-year-old or whatever who's screwed up and is nervous and stuff, and, you know, you could tell she's in love with him, but her heart's broken, and she's trying to be an adult, blah, blah, blah. She shows up at his house at a, at a 10. She's, like, completely bonkers now and, like, a psycho ex-girlfriend stalker type situation where she wants to tell Vivian everything, and that's just not the Hayden we originally met. <laughs> um, so again, I'm maybe saying it's the house forcing her to be cuckoo, uh, because that is not who she really was when we first were introduced to her. What do you think? I think, you know, it, I think it's possible it's the house. I think that's also a convenience that we can say to <laughs> write just, off yeah. some inconsistencies, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure which it is. But I, I agree with you. Um, but, you know, I, I try to also relate and say, okay, she's, like you said, she's 21. She's pregnant with her professor's kid. He clearly doesn't want to be anything a part of it. Um, she, it, you know, she's pregnant, so she has, you know, these hormone swings. Makes sense that one minute she's like, okay, I need to be an independent person. The next minute she, the next minute she uh, wants to be a family with him. Um, you know, there's, but it, you're right, it's dramatic. It's almost, you know, maybe she has some bipolar stuff going on as well because she really does kind of swing between extremes. Um, but the other thing that's worth noting here too is she's so mad at him for him leaving during the abortion, but she also didn't go through, like obviously she didn't go through with it because she came out of it to realize that he was still there. So she had changed her mind before he left, right? And right. so that's that's a consideration as well. Like if even if he'd st- so it's not really him him leaving isn't really the catalyst for anything because even if he'd stayed, she would have come out and said that she still wanted it. Then maybe she wouldn't have wanted to move to L.A. at that point in time. But yeah, it's not. Even though they kind of frame it as like you know that decision to choose his family over Hayden was what caused this. I don't know whether that was even really the case. It's just where his life is headed, you know. He, he's starting to he feels like he's starting to lose his mind you know he can't the, the recorder's missing he thinks maybe he killed Adina Porter um, obviously yeah. financials financial woes and the stuff with Hayden he's like barely on careful ground with his wife and daughter it, it's tough it's tough um, and then he wakes up again in the backyard uh, where Constance finds him with a shovel and she gives him the suggestion that he build a gazebo, which we now know is just her being a dick to Moira because... <laughs> so mean. <laughs> <laughs> because her remains are out there, and by putting a gazebo over her remains, theoretically, she's stuck in the house because her remains are stuck on the property. And it, it's not really explained in depth, but there's obviously these things are kind of implied throughout the episode. Um and we see that, you know, the detective comes the first time, tells tells Ben that Sally Freeman's missing. It's kind of his buddy-buddy. Comes back and really, like, you know, the recording shows a different side of Ben for being, you know, so bored that he <laughs> falls asleep or whatever. And, and pretty much uh, provokes her suicide attempt. Um, there's a great line that the detective has here that it's not a crime to be an asshole, I guess, or something like that. Which I thought was a, a line that kind of su- sums up Ben in general. <laughs> Even though I do feel bad for him, but he is an asshole. Totally. Um, he he screwed up a lot for sure. I think... I mean, the guy just can't catch a break right now. <laughs> like, he's trying to, like, tie up the loose ends and, like, 
I do, I genuinely believe he's trying to be a good dad, and hence they moved, and he's trying to do this stuff. But he, that house just keeps throwing shit his way that are obstacles that he just can't. He won't be able to fix unless they leave that house. Right. Um, and I don't know if like the house had power to like call Hayden and like bring her and like trick her into like thinking that she could have this life with Ben. It's just I don't know. Uh, yeah, I. Ben is not the greatest guy. I do feel bad for him, and I think the odds are just so stacked against him that there's like he, he's not going to look good at all. <laughs> Trying well, to clean and, up his mess. And we do learn that, like you know, the house is actually causing. You know, before he thought he was just stressed out. Even like when Larry was trying to tell him the house is is doing this to you, he thought he was just you know, stress from everything. We do find out that they find this laudanum compound in his blood test after he passes out that is an opiate that I think we can guess is maybe the stuff that Dr. Montgomery's huffing at the beginning. Um, but then he also implies that maybe uh, Moira's pouring it into his coffee. So Right. They're pretty heavy-handed with that because she's always, like, talking about the coffee's, like, the coffee's ready or, like, she's, like, seductively, like, holding coffee mugs all the time. So they, they want us to think that Moira's uh, drugging Ben for sure right and so this is this is going to lead me into a little bit of a theory that um i want to keep seeing how it plays out across episodes but it's that while we have all these individual spirits who are able to to some degree think independently that live in the house it's almost like a fraction of them or some portion of them is still possessed by the house itself right because it's almost like this you know wherever this evil spirit of the house that started with dr montgomery and his you know opioid situation is now like then it's passed on to moira drugging him for what reason we're not sure we kind of saw that with constance um being with tate and moira in that episode where they're talking like kind of collaborating in that scene and from either last right. episode or last episode mm-hmm. and so i don't know it's, it's almost like you know these spirits are not fully fully them, themselves independently but there's a there's a, a bit of pos- almost possession of the house inside of them kind of like a uh, poltergeist situation or, or something along those lines. Yep. I, yeah. And then finally kind of the, the exclamation point on Ben's storyline in this one is, you know, Larry asks him for a thousand bucks. Ben doesn't want to give it to him. He wants them for headshots or something like that. Who knows if that's really the truth. Um, but you know, Hayden's pissed. She's going to tell Vivian, everything like that. She runs outside is kind of manic again, but just as she walks out, Larry whacks her in the head with a shovel. Uh, <laughs> You know, he's there to solve the problem, but also basically to blackmail Ben for a thousand bucks, which is, you know, for a professional assassin hit, is it seems quite cheap to me. I don't know. I don't know what those go for in real life, but... I don't um, either. Maybe that was the rate in 2011. You know, hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I remembered this scene, and I, I knew as soon as they were leaving, uh, and she says, I, I could really use a big, fat, juicy bop, and then she got hit. I... I that and i remember the gazebo uh, also ben seems to have the plans for a gazebo to put up in a day <laughs> <laughs> yeah he uh, well i mean he had a body to hide with a concrete pallet yeah. or whatever so <laughs> yeah but I, I i did forget that um when um larry is digging the hole that we see moira's body in that mm-hmm. location and I, I had forgotten that that until I saw that. I remember Jessica or Constance saying, you know, you should put a gazebo, you know, whatever. But I for, had forgotten that it was Moira's body down there. And it's a pretty emotional scene as she's watching from the window and crying. And then Constance joins her to just add a little insult to injury. Um, but she's again, either putting, I think she's putting her earrings on at that point in time. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts around that or what that is supposed to symbolize. I mean, so the last time that she did that was when she killed Moira, she took them off, and her putting them on maybe symbolically is like bearing that part of her past. Like she's like moved on from it because she's now secured that <laughs> Moira is going to be stuck at the house forever, and she even tells her that. So maybe that's her just being like, "All right, I'm ready to move on now. Mm-hmm. I've I've officially screwed you for eternity." I think it's so mean. Yeah. But what do you, yeah. Do you have any ideas? My only other thought is that like when she has the earrings on, she's like, that's like when we see the harder kind of parts of her personality Mm. where she's a lot colder and more acerbic and stuff like that. And the only time she has real emotions is like, 
behind closed doors when the earrings come vulnerable off, when the, with yeah when the makeup's off yep right um and then of course the whole final scene of, of the entire episode is nora hovering at the end of the bed over vivian feeling some kind of parental uh, i don't know if it's envy or some yeah. kind of connection with vivian because she's pregnant there's something very eerie about the way that it that mm-hmm. and we get to see the back of her head again <laughs> yes <sighs> So, all that being said, uh, I'm very curious to hear kind of your final summation and what you end up giving this episode in a uh, number of rubber mans. Yeah, I thought this episode was fine. I thought it was good. I liked it um, for the most part. All the things we touched on, the contrivances were a little frustrating um, in the second watch, just because you know that this is just so bizarre, but... Hayden going crazy, the investment money situation is just too easy. The two things that maybe was one, th- the pacing for the first two episodes was quick. Like stuff was happening and it was moving along like so much so that at the end of episode two, Vivian says, we're moving, we're selling this house, which is like, awesome. You're already there. Smart choice. Now this episode felt like we kind of just stood in place or swam, um, treaded water for a whole episode, nothing really happened. We got a little more background. We're getting more of those flashbacks that American Horror Story is known for, which sometimes are great. Sometimes like, I don't need this. I, um, there was a few things that they tried to make happen. Um, also, what one? so when Vivian starts the, uh, the murder tour, you know, they start with the alley with the killing of his name was like Sal Minio or something like that. The the one in the alley, guy. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that it was interesting. Like I liked it, but I, it was it felt like a different show for a second there. And I was excited that we're going to this other crime, but then it was just a way to introduce that Vivian was on the tour. And it's like, but wait, that was a hate crime that just happened, right? Like I don't. Can we? I'm, it was. Just, it just felt a little maybe serious and out of place. I don't know. It was. It felt a little weird. Yeah. Um, it Maybe it was an experiment to try to use that as the introduction for the tour, uh, which was fine, but it was just so non sequitur to anything happening at the house that it felt, stood out to me. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, the pacing was the thing that was just a little frustrating this time around. That being said, I would give this episode four Rubber Men because I still love it. It was still good. It was worth it. And the, the ending um, with Hayden and then also the whole Moira and Constance backstory is really cool. And I hope we get more of that. What, what do you what do you give it? You know, I, I think you covered a lot of really good ground. I think, you know, obviously the most important thing in terms of the plot itself is, you know, Hayden dying. And we knowing, you know, her, us knowing that she she didn't have she, she was going to have the baby and then is killed is like the most dramatic part of it. Um, but you're right. In some ways, it does feel a little bit like treading water. I think that what it's supposed to feel like is we're really punctuating how trapped the Harmons are in the house mm-hmm. um, with, with all the ways Vivian tries to leave and all the ways she's blocked. Um, but in, at the same time, I agree with you that it can feel like hitting us over the head a little bit with it. Um, but it does, I don't know. It, it bothered me a little, but not too dramatically. I, I really did enjoy revisiting that you know that really intense opening scene with with Moira mm. um this this episode is full of a lot of backstory but it's backstory that I think is engaging in terms of not just Moira's backstory but also the stuff we see with Dr. Montgomery um it doesn't linger on that too long it's pretty it is kind of over the top American horror story but it's very well acted and intense and I appreciate that part of it too but yeah. I agree with you that it's not as fast-paced and like like as completely dynamic as the first two episodes so I, I was going to give it... Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 no. You you, you go. What's your, what's your score? I, before you talked, I was going to give it a four and a quarter, but I think I'm pulling it back to a four just because <laughs> I, I have a high bar for this season and I imagine there's going to be a lot of other high episodes and I, I want to keep a clear head about how each episode relates to the other. So so I'm going to say well, four. All right, so eight, eight rubber men total. That's still solid. quite solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I do think, and I've thought about this with the Montgomerys, they, I don't think they turn out to be one of my favorite ghosts in the house in the season, but oftentimes American Horror Story feels like they, I wish we could do more of a story about like Constance and Moira and the Harmons maybe all together instead of every new week finding another ghost that would get their backstory. The Montgomerys are kind of important 
in the bigger picture for this, but you know, we're, we're going to meet a lot more ghosts folks. <laughs> and it often feels like, well, let's just, let's like the writers like, well, let's just pick another ghost. Let's have a couple. Let's have um, the doctor do some other stuff. Let's have um, uh, a piggy man come. Like, I, it's just, I don't know. I agree with you. I think in a lot of ways, it's like they're trying to remind us that, hey, the main character of this particular horror story is the house. You know, everybody else yeah. is like a bit part, but the house is, is the real character. Um, yeah. And the house is going to take manifest in Michael in season six, you know. Uh, but no, I, no, I agree with you. I think it's an overall, uh, I think all the episodes up until now have been strong. It's been fun to revisit them. And I'm really excited for, like I said, these, these Halloween ones that are coming out. I was going to say, you know, it's next week. And it'll be Halloween October, part so one. Yeah, feel, so hell it'll yeah. Feel, feel awesome. Well, uh, in that case, let's not keep anybody uh, any longer. Uh, Chris, between now and next week, where can people catch you? Instagram and Twitter, at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? You guys can catch me on Twitter at TJMoss11. Uh, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You can join the conversation at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory, or you can email us your questions and thoughts at uh, thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. Um, always, uh, as always, we also encourage you to go to Stitcher, go to uh, uh, Apple Podcast app, and rate us and review us. We really appreciate it. We love to get your feedback, and we try to... Uh, iterate based on uh that feedback you know in some of these early episodes if you look back at uh, asylum which was our first season podcasting i had a problem of uh, not being a very experienced audio person i I had a lip smacking issue that a lot of people commented on and i had to i'd like to think i'm a lot better about it now and i i I really try to keep that in mind and not you know i think it it comes from me trying to maybe cut in when you're saying something it's like an odd invisible thing but you know we're always trying to improve and that's something people called out so i try i try to do better and we try to do better all the time so i think one thing we should do um next episode and i went and looked at this our first episode you know episode zero zero that we did for this was uh before we started it was a preview of asylum but we also talked about our thoughts on season one and i didn't realize that so we should go back and listen to that and talk about it next week Ooh, that's a great idea. We should definitely do that. I'm gonna hate it. We're gonna hate ourselves. You know, we were it was ten years ago. We we're we were younger, dumber, oh, stupid. My voice is probably so high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody, thanks so much for joining us, um, and we're looking forward to chatting with you more next week. Until then, happy optics. <laughs> <laughs>